This is the talk of Music City Real Estate. Welcome back to another episode of The Talk of Music City Real Estate. Where we educate and motivate all things real estate. My name is Monty Moore with Realty One Group Music City. And I'm Chrissy Amundsen here for Carrie Ann with CMG Financial and my mortgage team. Every week we'll be posting a new episode chock full of Nashville real estate value. You can follow along and subscribe at talkmusiccity.com. Got a question for us? Ask away at questions at talkmusiccity.com. Chrissy, thanks for again for joining us. Blake, thanks again for joining us. Such to an here. important yeah. topic. And I hope, I pray that uh, the agent community out there is paying close attention to this topic because it is so, 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 so very important. It's 18 ways to show buyers you're worth every commission dollar. Um, because your future probably depends on that topic, your ability your conviction, your skill level, your communication level, your intention on the topic. You can't just skate by hoping that they know your value. We've got to make sure that they feel it because you feel it in your heart because Mm -hmm. you know it's real, okay? So last time together, we talked about uh, the first one was education, that ongoing, you know, how much education is incredible when you really get into Mm -hmm. it. You know, I was especially sensitive to that topic uh, when you brought it up, Chrissy, last time, because it was only about six months ago that I got my broker's license in another state in Florida, and I had forgotten how, you know, much I didn't know, yeah. you know, because I hadn't had to set for my broker's license, actual license for what, now 26 years when I moved to Nashville, and I, and I and I got greedy and thought, well, and I don't need to go for, since they're willing to credit me the fact I don't, because of my longevity, I don't have to start as an agent like you normally would. Mm-hmm. I can go ahead and become a broker. Holy cow, would I regret <laughs> that? I mean, it, it took me a long time, but anyway. Oh, yeah. So education's ongoing. The second one is advice, insight, ongoing consultation. We know that, you know, what do you think about this property? How, what do you know about this neighborhood? All these questions that get uh, dumped on us. How old is that roof? Can you tell? And that kind of stuff. Number three, accessibility and availability. Number four, research and tracking down information. Boy, oh boy, that's when you learn. You know, I never forget one time, you know, I came from the uh, Merritt Island, Florida area when I moved to Nashville. And that is made up of, at the time, it was made up of Cape Kennedy Air Force uh, area, their uh, engineers. Every other person basically was an engineer. I'll never forget, I was working with this one engineer and he said, well, Monty, I want you to help me uh, find out what is the average uh, three-bedroom home facing west versus the average four-bedroom home facing east. I mean, I am not a detail, but what do you do with that kind of question? I just, all I ask is, well, Joe, if I do that, well, are you ready to buy a home? Because sometimes people get so, you know, drawn into the details, you know. Oh, yeah. So number five is strategy and number six, offer preparation. We've covered that. So if you are just tuning in to us for, uh, for the first time on this topic, be sure and look at last week's because um, I know there was some great information shared. Why do I know that? Because Blake said that there was great information <laughs> it shared. It was, it was. <laughs> yep. And now uh, you're kicking us off, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> no, but seriously, what's the value, Blake? Um You've been in this business now three years and, and property management prior to that, so you've been in the industry in general for, for quite a while. What's the value of one 
uh, nugget that I mean, what's the value? What, what's the value of that? You know, to to avoid having to pay for that refrigerator or having to mm-hmm. have egg on your face because you forgot to add the closing costs or whatever. What's the value of that? I, I think it's kind of hard to put a number to it. I mean, being real, um, it, it because it's credibility. It's, it's authority. You know what this it's what, trust. What this eighteen, um, you know, uh, eighteen, you know, item document. Eighteen ways to show buyers you're worth every commission dollar. Um, it it really talks about the whole idiosyncrasies and the uh, you know working with a buyer, working with a seller for that matter. It's a dance. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> I know you had a stint and you know dancing a little bit for a local <laughs> charity. Yeah, absolutely, and you know. I'm not a dancer. I don't claim to be a dancer, but I do, I do know that when you're working a transaction and Chrissy's going to talk about managing the transaction here in a minute. Um, but the idiosyncrasies, knowing, you know, how to negotiate, how to prepare things, how to offer things, how to speak with sellers who are, um, potentially losing, uh, losing money on the sale of their home, you know, mm-hmm. um, speaking with buyers who think that, you know, they're overpaying for a house when it's grossly underpaid, you know, all of these things, I, I like to think of it as a dance and knowing how to step and knowing mm-hmm. how to spin and all that kind of stuff. It's, um, so to answer your question, Monty, I don't think I could place a dollar on uh, a dollar amount or a nominal amount on the value of having a nugget, maybe a nugget that you get from, uh, from this three part series, but um, what I do know unequivocally is that if you, you, I, us, we apply anything that we've learned in this, even if it's just one thing, we're adding to our value, period. Right. And our, our, the authority and the trust that our clients are going to have or not have is based on so oh, much of this. Totally. You know? Yeah, totally. absolutely. I know just in, the first, just in the first six alone, I learned something, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, like Chrissy mentioned in the last, uh, last episode or last week's episode is that, you know, we just got to constantly be learning. And as long as we're committed to this lifelong learning aspect that this job really requires of us to be professionals, not just real estate agents, but real estate professionals. Mm -hmm. And we understand that we have to constantly be learning new ways of doing it. You call me on it all the time. Hey, I think we should do, I think we should approach our sellers or our buyers like this. And at first I... You know, not necessarily open to the idea that maybe I didn't do something right. Um, but, you know, looking at it objectively, if we're not, if me, I'll speak for myself, if I'm not constantly in this place of I need to be sharpening, sharpening myself, um, you know, uh, it, it, it plays against my value. So mm-hmm. um, I'm really excited about this. I'm, I'm going to kick us off here. Number seven, which is offer negotiation. Which you, which you are really good at, by the way. I, I, I love it how you tee it up, you know, because you are, you, it's, quick, it's amazing how quickly you can become best friends with that other agent. You know, <laughs> and offer negotiation starts with, before you ever write the offer, about getting in that other agent's, you know, the best you can, you know, and being real. I'm not saying being fake, but I'm, I'm saying you need to become, they need to be confident in you. I'll oh, right, say it that way. Right. You know, and you're in Nashville. I mean, it's such a big city surrounding area of Nashville is such a big city, um, but it's such a small city too, mm-hmm. you know, uh, establishing a reputation for yourself is, is imperative. Um, I don't, uh, reading through this, I don't think this speaks to that, but having a reputation that's worth talking about, mm-hmm. you know, not like shouting from the house, uh, from the rooftops that, Hey, I have a great reputation, but you want, you want to establish yourself not only as an authority in your market, but also as someone who other agents want to work with. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so number seven, offer negotiation. I love this part of the, of the, 
I, I jokingly say sometimes that my middle name is negotiation and not Carter. Um, <laughs> but um, so besides offer preparation, again, which was number six, negotiation is a huge part of the buyer representation process, working out all the details and differences between a buyer and a seller to establish the terms of the transaction is critical. The agent must uh, hover, hover over every term and discuss the implications with the buyer so that they can determine what they are okay with and what terms and conditions that they can negotiate further to finalize the transaction. Sometimes offer do not, offers do not come together for varying reasons. Um, I have a lot of stories on that on that little anecdote, but maybe that's for another uh, another podcast. Uh, one of the most significant is a difference on prices. You know, sellers won't budge or want certain number, and the buyers feel that the property is not worth the number that the seller wants. We're walking through this right now, Monty and I, with a with a particular seller, and um, it's painful. But you know what Monty always says and likes to remind me is, we can't want it more than our clients want it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, this is this this whole point. I'll get to that in a sec, but um, underlying that, that we can't want it more than our client wants it. Um, so continuing, uh, parties often walk away only to revisit week or mo- week, weeks or months later, depending on the market climate. Sellers, particularly in slower markets, may have since adjusted their asking price to an amount that the seller initially rejected by the buyer in an offer. Um, you know, I think in, the, in this part of offer negotiation, us as agents, us as, you know, straight commission uh, sales professionals, I think it's, it's, um, it's easy to lose sight of why we're doing it. Um, I'm, I'm speaking, I'm following my own sword here. You know, there's, it, it's, there, there's times, and I've, I've mentioned this to agents who I met, uh, mentor and agents who are on our team, and um, especially newer agents too, that you, your client, the consumer, your fiduciary, can't know that you need this transaction to happen. <laughs> right. I think that is the biggest detriment an agent can, uh, I think that's, talk about an annihilation of credibility when the consumer knows that you need this transaction to come to fruition for fruition um, is the moment you lose all credibility. Um, I've been there. um, And I tell you what, maybe we, maybe we, perfect terms are there the numbers there it all works out but just some level of manipulation to get two parties to agree some way somehow it doesn't work out in your favor in the long run um and i think in this one mind you be this profession again the thing that distinguishes this is my opinion the thing that distinguishes an agent and a professional is this understanding that this is a service before self position Mm. and career um and the moment the moment we lose sight of that is the moment all of this pardon my french goes to shit (laughs) <laughs> one of my very first transactions i'll never forget it we had been working on this back then you know things took at least 90 days to close okay so there was a lot of build-up there was a lot of and everything was done you know manually and all that st- kind of stuff you know but you know you had to make the copies and deliver them you know you didn't have fax machines let alone the internet you know uh, but i'll never forget um my family and i we were hurting financially i mean hurting because it was a tough, it was, you know, I didn't know what I was doing for quite a while, you know, and, and I'll never forget, I, you know, by then, of course, you're close to your clients, you care for them, you truly do. I will never forget giving this lady a hug and saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And having her cry on your shoulder uh, after you had to deliver the news that I'm sorry, but they rejected your loan and they're, they're all boxed up, you know, they're ready to close in a few days because we didn't live in the fishbowl we do now. And it wasn't uncommon for the day before for the deal to fall apart. And I remember hugging her, 
saying I'm so sorry and being that empathetic, compassionate professional or trying to be, trying to walk it out, knowing in the back of my mind, I don't know what I'm going to do when I get home. You know, that, that will, whew, that will build some whew, wonder, wonderment if nothing else as to why am I doing this? But I feel very fortunate, very blessed that I was able to take that position because I always remembered that in other situations that I have to have service before self like you said a minute ago that's so so important i think there's a really important piece here that we as agents can sometimes think i need to negotiate to win i'm going to negotiate to win no matter what it takes mm -hmm. but to make sure you're negotiating in your client's best interest at all times it's not just to win it's in their best interest and that's yeah. a, a certain skill i'm guilty i'm guilty of guilty of that uh and i, I think you know some of us are, most of us are, um, but, but be willing to admit that and also, you know, take a look at, okay, <clears throat> it's this constant, again, constant sharpening of iron um, and recognizing, you know, our faults, maybe our defects as a, as a professional and being willing to change those things, again, adds to our value. Um, so I love this part. Uh, it's one of my favorite parts of the process. Um, that aside from getting to the closing table because that's that's uh, every sales agent's uh, dream right there but um most importantly it's it's making sure that win 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 is achieved um so and thanks, for, and thanks for saying that uh, blake because <laughs> it does need win, to be win you know win. christy if you and i were doing a transaction i'd say look christy i know and we don't know each other i'd say <laughs> look christy i know you're representing your client and i'm representing mine but let's do something even grander than that. Let's rise ourselves above this transaction and let's do what's best for the integrity of all parties. Let's do what's best for the integrity of the, of the transaction, of the experience. You know, sometimes I, I get it why some folks want to go, you know, negotiate to the you know, bottom dollar and this kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, if you're that kind of person that you think you're going to just keep on and keep on and keep on and wearing somebody out, there's going to be a time where you're going to need some help. I mean, I'll never forget, you know, it wasn't that long ago that a young um, couple were, was buying one of my listings and they were really sweethearts and, and um, it come from a culture where negotiating maybe is a little more fluid than what it is in maybe this country. I'm just saying that that might've been part of the backstory there as far as, you know, in a lot of countries negotiating, you know, I mean, they're just part of the daily activity. <laughs> You know, and anyway, they had impressed this clients of mine, the sellers, so much that the, my clients wanted to give them about half the furniture in the house. Wow. And and yet, as the as the, and, and because they met them, and uh, when they brought their family over during the first part of the transaction. So anyway, uh, towards the end of it, though, my clients, the sellers, felt so beat up because they wanted this and they and wanted that and wanted this and wanted that up to the point and they were okay up to the final point when they pulled the washer and dryer out of the house they people refused to close until they had painted the wall behind that washer and dryer and by then they had set a stage that this is no longer win-win mm. you no longer care about the fact that we are offering you half of our furniture and so forth and so i you know after that i at the closing table i said well folks are were you still planning on you know, leaving a lot of stuff for these folks. And they said, Monty, we would rather burn what we were going to leave behind than to, to give it to them because they've been so frustrating to deal with. Mm. Okay. And that, and that hurt, it hurt everybody. Yeah. 
because you cannot keep on wearing somebody out. You've got to be okay with win-win. I, I mean, I, I'm encouraging everybody, especially that are leaders out there, be okay with win-win. Win-win is the best. Yeah. Let's not make anybody feel like they got ripped off or something, okay? Um, and, and so anyway, I'll, I'll get off that soapbox. <laughs> so Blake had to get off his, you know, but it's really, really important. So finalizing the offer, once all terms have been worked out, this is where everything comes together. Ensuring all offer documentation and addendums are finalized and accurately reflect the transaction. This is extremely important as the escrow title and lender will all receive a copy of the documents. So if something is not correct, it could have major implications for the entire transaction. Guys, the lender and the title company haven't seen the house. You know, Carrie Ann has said this many times. We didn't know it was a berm house or we didn't know there was, you know, whatever about that house that was unique. You've got to paint that picture, take ownership of that and make sure those who are, you've surrounded yourself with those other professionals, especially the lender and especially the title company, that they know whatever the intricacies are and they know it early on. They don't have to worry the day before closing. Well, what do you mean, uh, there's a probate that hasn't gone, you know, whatever it is. I mean, they're, they're anyhow. So Chrissy, tell us about managing the transactions. I don't know anybody on the planet who does a better job than you do yeah, on that and topic. This is a perfect topic for you to be talking about. Yeah. So before, you manage Monty and I very well. So, <laughs> so before I uh, became a licensee myself, I started with transaction management because I said, I got to know what I'm talking about. This is a big deal, you know, buying or selling homes on people's behalves. I got to know what I'm doing. So I, I started in this and I think it's very important. So this section is funny because I actually kind of half agree and half disagree with it. Well, let's um, be real, okay? <laughs> so you're, uh, you're, you're you're the horse that's coming out of the horse's mouth. I mean that with all love and I'm respect. The horse. You know? Got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's wow. <laughs> <laughs> but what this says the is, authority. Let's call it the authority. I'm okay, the authority. she's the authority. All right. <laughs> Managing a transaction is often like herding cats. And I always say that, that we are the ringleader and we're keeping all the circus acts going, right? So we're in charge here. It says it is not enough to farm this out to a transaction coordinator. While they can assist with things like document prep and obtaining signatures and timelines, the agent representing the buyer must take the bull by the horns to ensure everyone in the transaction is doing their job and handling respective responsibilities. So this is where I'm a little 50-50 on it yeah. because I... Where are you going with this? I think it is very important that all agents know exactly what a very good transaction coordinator should be doing. Amen. And that Amen. means they need to have their own education as to what do these contracts say? What do these timelines mean? How do I get successfully to closing? What should my TC be doing on my behalf properly? Mm -hmm. So if you don't ever take the time to learn that and you just farm it out to a TC, I think that is not good. Mm -hmm. However, when we look at using our time in the best ways, I am 100% pro TC, get yep that administrative piece off of your plate to let them follow up timelines. They're going to keep you in check. You're going to keep them in check. It is a blessing to have a great transaction coordinator, but make Amen. sure that you know what that looks like. So. Yeah. I, I, let me, let's just talk about this for a second. Cause mm -hmm. this is really a big deal. Um, yeah, cause I have made statements like when somebody says, well, I, you know, you should do it first a few times before you hand it off to somebody else. And I'd say, well, I wouldn't want to build an engine before I learn how to spend, <laughs> you know, to drive a car or I wouldn't want to know how to fly a plane before I get on the plane. But, but, um, it, it, here's my advice on that topic. And I, you know, uh, I think we're in sync on that, um, to some degree, but I appreciate you pushing back on part of it <laughs> uh, because again, you're, you're the authority on this whole topic, but my belief is that rather than do it yourself, get a great TC like Carrie, mm. uh, uh, darling, 
and then ask a lot of questions mm-hmm. and 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 just say, look, I'm going to probably wear you out on these first couple, but I want to know the right way to do this from the get go. Yep. Because, you know, I'm not going to learn from another agent because another agent many times will cut corners or not think something's a priority or not understand because they haven't seen the problems because they haven't worked enough transactions or whatever. But let's find a good TC like Carrie Darling. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a plug for her because she's, honestly, she's next to Chrissy. She's the best I know of. She's great. She's really, really good. So anyhow, thank you, Chrissy. 100%. Let let someone tell you what it should be and you keep each other in check. And, and if you, you know, don't, don't be in the details, let your TC do what they do best, you know, but make sure that they are a good one. And you and know, be what familiar with the, every step of the way. Exactly. And, because- I want, and I want to add to that just, you know, I, and I was telling this to Richie, um, a new agent on our team is, it's like, you don't want to make a mistake and your client have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't know what you don't know, the last thing you need to do is, especially the agents who are fresh out of school, who really don't know what they're doing, you know, and then they want to just go ahead and write an offer, <laughs> you know, you're, it, it, those mistakes, while they are very costly, very, very costly, you don't want to make that mistake because that's ultimately why our industry, unfortunately, right. has a black eye. Correct. Yeah. Um, the c- consumer, so to add that. we have allowed the consumer to feel like we're, or to buy what some of these uh, tech companies are saying that we're not a much needed right. value. We're just an added expense, you know, and we're not, we're an advocate, you know, and that's what we always got to step up and be improved. Yeah. This piece of managing the transaction is what proves to our customers that we are more than just someone who can fill out a form and check a box. This right. is us getting them through to that closing and improving our experience. So what this says continued here is, an agent can never assume that all is okay and that everyone is doing what they're supposed to do. That's what I guess makes us the ringleader of the circus here. The agent needs to ensure that the deposit has been provided in a timely Mm -hmm. manner. Inspections are scheduled. The buyer's working on getting all their required documents to the lender, that the appraisal has been paid for to securing securing insurance uh, on all going under contract. And this says to continue to hover over the buyer and lender but again, if we're working with really great professionals, then they're checking us, we're checking them, everyone is doing what they're supposed to be doing. So I think that's really important to have that great team that you can count on. Right. Um, if you have that, then you can worry less and ringleading doesn't take so much. Um, but when it comes to insurance here, there are all sorts of gotchas with insurance that can arise from prior claims or claims involving the buyer on properties they've owned. So you know, having these professionals knowing who is supposed to be doing what and when, staying organized, having a great TC that you know is keeping you organized, um, and then having open communication to all of the parties. So, you know, they go on here to talk about the appraisal and those timelines as well. But the, the big picture here is, is everyone doing what they're supposed to be doing per the contract terms? And are you making sure that's happening on behalf of your client? It's a huge piece. Here, here's a nugget for everybody that I didn't know in 40 years, and that is if your client's got a pit bull, and I have a pit bull. It's the best dog I've ever owned. He's precious. He's amazing. <laughs> He's Otis. Otis P. Moore. <laughs> That's his name. Somebody said, why the P? And I said, well, he used to pee a lot when he was a puppy. But anyways, um, my point is, if you've got a pit bull, good luck finding uh, insurance for your for the home, okay? So know these things. Know if they've got one of the dogs that's on the you know supposedly ferocious list, uh, the German Shepherd, the rottweiler the pit bull and whatever else is you know supposed to be uh but anyhow be aware of that okay because golly that'd be frustrating to have somebody about to close and then find out they can't get insurance okay know these things i think that's great 
I, with with Chrissy being the authority on this topic, I have nothing more to add. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so next one, number 10, inspections and repairs. This is often uh, the most significant milestone in the transaction and can take several hours, possibly days, to complete, depending on the number of specialists the buyer wishes to have check on the home and property. Uh, an agent often spends a tremendous amount of time in, the ev- in these events. I can attest to the <laughs> tremendous amount of time there. Uh, a general home inspection assessment may generate the need for numerous additional inspections. Well, I mean, let's be real here, Blake. This is the number one reason why buyers walk away. Oh, totally. Because they haven't taken the time to manage the expectations for the buyer, and the listing agent hasn't taken the time to manage the expectations for the seller, and the buyer, uh, and if the agent isn't strong enough to say, look, let's focus on the things that matter most, and if the seller's agent hasn't said, look, that eight, that, lend, that uh, inspector wants to stay out at court, so he's going to list everything that he can including that door that doesn't quite latch right and all this silly stuff okay so be i mean you've got to prep them ahead of time mm-hmm. manage the expectations look mr buyer that you're you're you you we're helping you choose a great inspector but that inspector because of our litigious society he's going to he or she is going to list everything he possibly can about that house that doesn't mean everything should be corrected it's not Correct. fair to expect that. No home can handle can stand up to that kind of scrutiny. So let's let's be aware of that going into it. My point is, manage the expectations so then when you're looking at that that you know fifty seven items on inspection, <laughs> you can get real with it. Let's let's focus on yeah. I know that that you know that's whatever those little things, but let's let's think let's focus on the let's let's choose our battles. I guess is what right. I'm saying. Sorry right. for interrupting. Well, you. no, I'm just. Uh, what I love so much about this list, um, and I hope that our, you know the viewers um, and the listeners can can see this, is that it all goes hand in hand. Obviously, you know this part of the inspections you can correlate it easily back to the offer preparation as well as the strategy. You know, back in twenty one, twenty, and um, parts of twenty two, the buyer had was under the impression that impression was left on us. The agent said, "Listen, you know, it's going to be multiple offer." So, you know, be okay with either waiving inspections or taking something as is. You and I, we all know that as is doesn't really mean much in today's day and age. But again, it all goes back to the whole preparation prior to getting to this. If you did a really crap job on preparing your clients, going into submitting an offer, going into the inspection, um, you're going to be caught when you get that, inevitably when you get that 56-page report (laughs) and you are... uh, uh, that daunting 56 page report and your sellers want everything in the moon, excuse me, your buyers want everything in the moon. Um, you know, you might as well just fail the inspection at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, going on a general home inspection assessment may generate, uh, numerous additional inspections. Uh, and so the race is on to find the appropriate people, appropriate people who can come out to the property to evaluate the issue or issues within the contractual time frame allotted to complete the inspections. Well, this uh, may sound easy enough. It's not. Uh, contractors and various specialists are not on the any time, all the time schedule that a real estate agent is. That's super important. If you've ever tried to get a repair person out on uh, in a critical time, you know who, uh, what I'm referring to. Often a request for an extension or additional time may be needed. So let's talk about offer prep. If oh, you gosh. have, 
a house that you know is very old or in disrepair, let's not put in a one day inspection period right. because it's probably going to need a little more time than that, right? So, yeah. and, and, or, and, and let's jump over on this just for a second on the listing side of this whole scenario as well. Again, managing expectations. If you've asked those sellers, I know we're talking about buyers here, but if we, you've asked those sellers, uh, and you know, first time, of course, before you get there, how long they've been in this home. If they've been in this home for at least no, no, somewhere between four and five years, let's say, and you ask them, have you had anybody under your home during that time, if it has a crawl space, for instance, uh, or has have you ever had you know a, a, a professional inspection for whatever reason, you know, maybe a pest inspector, whatever. If you haven't had anybody underneath that house for five years, do yourself a favor and call Tennessee Home Inspectors and have them do a pre-inspection anyhow yes. so that you, so that the mm-hmm. deal killers aren't still lurking out there right. that you're not aware of, okay? Right. Because, uh, again, the, the buyer in many cases is a, a little reluctant because of the challenged market we're dealing with right now. But if you've taken care of the big deals, then the small ones are much easier to totally. work with. Yep. Totally. Eliminate surprises. Yeah. Well, and you know, the, you, you talked about offer preparation, you know, we could even bring up strategy in this too. If, if I, if I'm re- representing a buyer showing property and we see a home that's been on the market, let's say 120 days. And you can clearly tell from either the photos, maybe the marketing, maybe the remarks after you see the property, you could see, okay, there's clearly some items in this house that need to be addressed. Strategize with your buyer and understand that maybe we need to ask for a 60 day inspection or excuse me, excuse me, 60 day escrow with maybe a two or three week inspection window. Cause we might need to get a structural engineer out there. We might need to get a radon. We might need to get pest control. Again, it all boils down to strategy. You don't want to wait until you get the inspection report to start planning for this stuff. You know, again, difference between an agent and a professional is knowing this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, let me, let me share another nugget real quickly here. For those of you who are, again, if you're listing a house and you see some, some, some cracks, some, you know, keep in mind, first of all, you're in Tennessee. The ground moves, okay? And there's probably not a brick home out there that doesn't have some sort of settling cracks, okay? That's just part of the nature of the beast. If you've got the listing side, you've got to, this took me a while to understand this because I didn't get the connection for a while until I saw the results of it. If you're listing a property and you know it, it might have some settling. Maybe the client misses it to you. Maybe you uh, notice it when you're walking around the house. It's best at that point, if it looks like anything of significance, remember you're looking for, let's say I'm not a structural engineer, I'll say that right off the bat, mm-hmm. but if it's over a quarter of an inch, it could result, it could be a potential problem, okay, if it's newer. A lot of, a lot of dynamite happening in the Middle Tennessee area still and that kind of thing. Go ahead and, and, and encourage your client to invest the money in getting a, a structural engineer out there during the process, okay? I'm not saying hold everything up for that. I am saying that in the process of, of getting it on the market and so forth, go ahead and address that. Yeah, it's going to cost you 500 bucks to $1,000 possibly, but understand this. When that inspector comes out and he sees this or she sees this, they're not going to write, you know, they're put their blessing on that. They're going to defer it to the, ex, the expert, and then you're going to be at the mercy of the timing of that uh, expert at that point. And guess what? Then you're going to go to a company, and no offense to any of the companies, I'm not mentioning names, but you're going to go to the company who specializes in structural repair. When that company typically gets there for, to inspect that, they'll do it for free. See, that's the, that's the part of the dynamic here going on. If I get an engineer out there who really knows what they're doing, he's going to cost me something up front. 
Right. If I get a repair person out here, they're not going to charge anything, but guess how they make their living? <laughs> they make their living, you know, finding problems, okay? And some of those are real. I'm not saying hide anything that's real. I am saying, though, that I've had many times where a uh, inspector called something out saying, oh, you need a structural person out here. And the structural person saying, look, this house is doing what it's supposed to be doing. This driveway is, is, is moving at that at seam that was put in the concrete originally like it's supposed to. If you jack it up, you're going to hurt the integrity of what was created in the first part. So my point is, if you have the buyer side, yeah, you want the, one of the free ones because they're, hmm. you know, because you, anyway, but if you have the listing, again, we're being proactive here. We're thinking in advance. We're creating our authority. Encourage them to, to invest some money because that engineer is going to cost a lot less. And then you have that letter. It's going to cost you a lot less than what that repair person is. So, Monty, before we go into this next section that's repairs, while we're still here in inspections, I love something that you say about new construction. Can you share that about inspections and what you've done in the past? As far as? <laughs> the um, 11th month. Yeah, the 11th month. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, so I, I was I was a little shocked the other day when I one of our top agents um, shared that he didn't uh, encourage the buyer to spend the money on an inspection because of brand new construction. Guys, that's that's not the right approach. Okay, please, that's not the right approach. I came from construction before I ever got into real estate. Uh, the the ideal situation if you're building a home is to ideal is to you know, have it inspected a few times in the process yeah it's going to cost more money but you know how it was built at least um but what chrissy's mentioning is <clears throat> let's say that things are tight they don't have the money doing the inspection please get a promise from them that okay i'm going to notify you on the 10th month after owning this property and i'm going to give you a name and number of a couple of different inspectors that i trust and please do an inspection then at least because at that point, it's like having a, uh, um, a, a, a not a loaner car, but a, what's, what's it called when you get one that's already been driven? Pre-owned? Um, uh, maybe pre-owned. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, pre-owned is fine. But anyway. <laughs> Certified it's, pre-owned. Car. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking to a car guy here. So the point is, at this point, the home has that chance to sit in the weather and do its thing for the first year. And so actually, that's one of the best times to do inspection. The problem in that, to taking that position only, though, is at that point, the builder has already got their money. And if you already got your money, is it a priority? If you haven't gotten your money, are you going to be a higher priority? So it's always best to get an inspection done before closing because at that point, you've got the buyer's or you got the builder's attention. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, they're still responsible for uh, up to that one year it's required. But again, that uh, builder inspect, uh, warranty is only as good as a builder. That's a whole other story there. But, <laughs> but so, so my, my point is, uh, in the perfect world, you get one done while it's being built, before closing, and then at the 11th a month, okay? That's the perfect world. But not everybody has a couple thousand dollars to invest. The next perfect one is to do it before closing because that's when you got the, the buyer's or the builder's most uh, intention. Mm-hmm. But at least do one before that 12th month, okay? And submit because everything to the builder warranty. <laughs> Pardon me? And submit everything. <laughs> well, yeah, and then hopefully they'll still honor it. Right. But remember, here's the problem in not doing that. That three or four or five years later, and if you've done a good job, they call you back, and then they find out when they sell the home that you're selling the home for them, that there was some problems with that house that now they have inherited they're, they're, it doesn't matter probably how lo- loud they shout at that builder if, if they're still in town. 
uh, because a lot of them have come and gone over the market conditions the last few years. Uh, they, they inherit that. Now, uh, I'm telling you, I've seen some crazy things over the years. I mean, some really super crazy things. Uh, don't be in that. Don't be that agent that doesn't encourage them to uh, at least get a, a, a last, I mean, a 11th month uh, inspection. Okay. Yep. I love that. And until honestly, I uh, heard that nugget from you. I had never thought about that with builder warranties. It was just so many buyers who said, well, it's brand new. I don't need an inspection. And then, mm-hmm. you know, what do you do from there? You just say, okay, and move on. But I love that piece. So. Well, it, it, yeah, you, you assume it's okay. It's brand new. It's got a one-year warranty. It's got to be pro- perfect. Guys, <laughs> the problems don't happen until after that one year. And guess who inherits it? Because it wasn't mm-hmm. taken care of the first time. Okay, on repairs. Moving right along. Uh, we've got one, two more here to, to talk about on this session. This can be an extremely stressful part of the transaction. Okay, I, I think I'm what I would rather uh, spend a lot of time here with is this. Have you heard of Boss Cat? Oh. Okay, here's the deal. Okay, let's just, let's, uh, this is great. Uh, I mean, this is great, but I want to make sure we have time to talk about BossCat. Here's the setting, okay? The inspection has been done. The inspector is trying to keep himself out of court, so he's listed everything. Your client is freaking out. You as the buyer's agent, though, or, or the seller's agent, keeping, again, managing the expectations. Uh, let me tell you a quick example. Um, when a boss cat first came out, uh, they used to be called punch list. They're called boss cat. Now, um, they, um, I had, I was selling a home in Franklin. The lady had the, had moved into it, her father, and she was in her sixties. Her father had built the home. Okay. That's how old the home was. And nobody had been under the house for, for a long time. So we sent punch list. Who's now boss cat into that property and I had that taken care of before we ever address it because we come back with this. We got this long list of repairs. Again, I know I'm talking on the seller side, but I'm, but this is equally important, if not more so, because, again, inspection process is one of the – that's the number one reason why people walk away from a deal. If you can, though, share with your buyer through the help of the listing agent who is being proactive, call it, reached out to BossCat, because in 24 hours, BossCat will take that inspection report and decide – exactly what that's going to cost and guarantee it for a year with licensed and insured people and they will be they will be as competitive as they possibly can in the in the cost of that even competing with sally sue and billy bob and their (laughs) um and their repair person no offense to either one of those folks so that answers these questions you're saying uh overall how much will (laughs) things cost to repair what issues are the most critical is there because they'll send you a list that you can take away or uh, from or, or whatever but anyhow the point is um to me that just brings so much there's so much value in having that answer because remember we're we're getting paid on our authority and our ability and our connections right. and so forth and to have right. something like that up your sleeve whether you use them or not just to dismiss the pain because it's the unknown is the scary part okay right. most buyers are not uh, and sellers are not contractors and so when they see this list oh my god you know the house is about ready to cave in and then they this the, the we find out from boss cat oh there's about three thousand dollars worth of repairs well you know show the list to the seller the seller freaks out but then as the listing agent no no we've got a solution to that and you can pay out a closing okay yeah. did you hear me yeah. you can pay out a closing <laughs> so it's not even money out of pocket and incredible to your client, your buyer, it has a one-year warranty on every all the work they've done. So, you know, that's, I don't get, I'm not on their payroll, I promise you, but 
Well, just, boy, the, oh boy. just the importance of having an arrow in your quiver or an initial tool in your tool belt when something like this, you do not want to be caught with a, I don't know, I, like, I don't know how to handle this. Again, you, it boils down to preparation. You know, you don't want to get to that point and who do I have to call? Who right. do I have to call? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because having that arrow in your quiver is important. I, I mean, I, I like handyman. I've used handyman for, for a long time, but a handyman isn't going to typically have, a lot of times, and how isn't going to have insurance. They're, they're not going to have somebody answering the phone for them. Uh, they're not, I mean, again, no offense to any handyman. There's some awesome people out there. Uh, but if you're really good, Mr. Handyman, and you're listening to this, then call up BossCat because they might hire you as well. Okay, that's <laughs> right. just a great system. I love that system. Mm-hmm. I really absolutely do. I agree. So we have appraisals are, are the next topic here. Um, whose turn? Um, so I think this, again, goes back to managing expectations. So mm-hmm. we'll look at some of what they say, but I like to throw that in there because if on the listing side, you're managing the seller's expectations. You're starting in prices that make sense. And if you're on the buyer's side, you're offering things that make sense. So for appraisals, this is one part of the transaction where we have little control. So I would say outside of that preliminary, yes, the appraiser is in control of telling us that value. The agent working with the buyer needs to ensure the appraisal is turned around in a timely manner to comply with financing and appraisal contingency timelines in the contract. Uh, they must micromanage the process so as not to jeopardize the buyer's escrow deposit. Should the appraisal report come back with a valuation or condition issue that needs to be addressed, the buyer's agent must dive in to assess what's going on, determine what is needed to help resolve that issue. And this whole time, the clock is ticking and an extension on the buyer's financing or an appraisal contingency may be needed. So again, just setting realistic expectations, prepping that offer properly, making sure there's time to get everything done that needs to be done. Um, and of course, making sure that you're protecting your buyer's deposit. I mean, we're talking about the value we bring here. I think managing the timelines and, you know, saving our buyer's money and making sure that that's not lost is a huge piece of what we do. Um, so the buyer's agent is the one watching out for the buyer with every aspect of this because if an issue arises with the appraisal that cannot be resolved, you want to ensure the buyer can get their deposit back as part of that cancellation process. So that's a huge responsibility. Yeah, guys, I know I be, we're talking about buyers here again, but let me uh, just throw in here when it comes to appraisals. The appraiser getting to the property, his goal, okay, may not happen this way, but it, the, the primary goal is to validate value, okay? That's what the appraiser is there for, to be the eyes and ears for the lender. Do your client a, a service and those improvements they've been talking about that they did, have them make a long list of that and have that out for the appraisal when he, appraiser when he gets there, he or she gets there because... They're, again, they're looking for evidence. And, and if you want to have, if you know some comps, maybe some things that were, didn't hit the market or whatever, give them evidence. Give them supporting um, evidence. They don't want to come in low if they can help it. So, but help help out. And again, that's part of your uh, your you know, value value add here is getting to the finish line uh, as successfully as possible. Yeah, what, one of the things that we used to do and we still do too is especially you know back in the day where you know we were selling homes multiple offer and above list um, and sometimes significantly above list is when we you now again because of the two thousand eight and all the stuff that happened then the buyer's agent doesn't have the ability to communicate with the with the appraiser you know for obvious reasons uh, but as a selling agent or listing agent um, they reach out to us to schedule those appraisals mm-hmm. and again in the essence of win-win trying to maintain you know 
especially if there's a difference between what the marketing price was or the, uh, the, the listing price was and what the contract price is, I give that information to the appraiser. Mm-hmm. Um, I give them, especially if we feel like we might be stretching a value to, I give them the comps that I use. Mm-hmm. I even give them what the contract price is too and just kind of for, uh, for nothing more than total continuity in the process and win, 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 you know, last thing we want is for us to say, okay, the house is a million dollars. They didn't have enough comps to justify. So they're coming in at 900, you know, how do you reconcile that? And the the, the easiest answer to that is it's hard. (laughs) You can. Um, but anyways, it's just all about win, win, win. Yeah. On either side, the value that the agents bring to this is the market knowledge, the education and and knowing where do we list at? What do we offer at? Let's make it that win to the end. Right. Uh, this is what I can promise you, 40 years in the business, if you will internalize these things for Sharon, it's going to make your world so much better in the future because you're going to have such stronger credibility with uh, your clients. And you're going to be in a situation where for the last, you know, several, for several years now, I've, most of my business that I've been involved in personally has been past clients and, and past client referrals. And that's the goal for everybody is to build that that database. And that only happens if they have the undying desire to refer you to the family and friends because they know their names on the line. And if you've done a great job for them, if you've done these things we're talking about and that we're going to pick up next week, the next time, same place, same time. And we have six more, the final six of the uh, 18, what is it called again? Uh, The 18, (laughs) uh, the 18 ways to show buyers your worth every, not just part of them, but every commission dollar. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Again, I look forward to seeing you again next week. Be sure and dial in to the talk of Music City Real Estate. Thank you. Thank you.